Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you, if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversation podcast. Today's guest is Blake Mallon. Blake is a billion-dollar brand builder, community marketing expert, TED speaker, and the host of the popular Alive by Design podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Blake. Oh, great to be here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. First of all, I gave a bit of an overview of who you are, but tell us about what you do. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm out here, I guess, on the other side of the world. So uh, sitting in my home office in Pacific Palisades, which is a fun little town right between Santa Monica and Malibu, so Southern California. Um, and uh, yeah, here with my wife, we actually just celebrated last week our 23 year anniversary, which was a, a significant milestone. My kids are downstairs, my son's six and a half, my daughter, Sadie, almost four. And wow. uh, John, yeah, been an entrepreneur now, it's crazy. So started in this this space, 19, 19 years old. Um, so coming up on 22 years as a entrepreneur, um, mainly in the health and well-being category. Yeah. Uh, so most of that time, you know, building my own brand. I, I started my own company with a couple partners at a really young age and kind of went through all, all of the trajectory you'd expect a startup entrepreneur to, to go through the, the early scrappy startup stages and, and then was blessed and privileged to kind of go through some phenomenal hyper growth and momentum phases um, and ended up actually becoming a part of a multi-billion dollar public company and, and took that brand to some pretty significant levels over about 15 years. You know, I actually became one of the largest, if not the largest um, health and weight loss platform, at least in North America for a period of time. And uh, mm -hmm. had the privilege of then taking that brand internationally and, and building it across 16 different countries. And then um, actually uh, exited that company, sold it to a larger company uh, where I'm the acting president of today, still in the health and wellness category, a little more broader. Um, so entrepreneurship, I guess a 360 point of view, everything from the startup to scaling to leading large organizations and employee organizations with large outside sales forces to operating as a, as a public company for a period of time to, to going through a a merger and acquisition. So kind of the full gambit, but outside of kind of the <laughs> entrepreneur journey, I like you, I, I love teaching. So that's why I was excited about this conversation. I, I, I just, I love teaching. I love sharing my, 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 what I do is, you know, companies and brands and communities and products. But, but what I love to do, I guess you could say on the purpose level is, is really sharing experience and, and really teaching and, and inspiring um, and that's why, you know, I love you, you, you mentioned the podcast. I love the podcast mm. conversations and conversations like today, really to reach out and, and maybe give somebody who's in that phase or on their journey, you know, something to help them with their next step. So excited to be here and excited about today's conversation. Yeah, thank you. That was an incredibly articulate and succinct overview of a lot of things that you've done <laughs> to this point. And I can't wait to zoom in a bit more on, on, on your story. Let, let's start with your childhood, Blake. As you reflect on some of the moments or themes from that season in your life that really shaped you and the leader you are today. Well, that's a loaded question for sure. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess I'll start with 
I did not grow up from any sort of family tree of entrepreneurs. You know, I, I think a lot of times um, when we meet individuals that have reached certain, maybe we assume they, they had to have some sort of like business pedigree or marketing pedigree or, or you know, family tree of business. And I'm sure that that's the case for a lot of individuals. My story is, it couldn't be the more opposite. So, John, I grew up here in Southern California, actually about 45 minutes north from where I, I currently live, you know, really suburbia, you know, kind of kind of safe town. Um, and both my parents were public service. So my father career law enforcement. So I watched him go through all the stages of law enforcement out here from highway patrol to sheriff to working for the state, but you know, law enforcement his entire life. Um, and my mom, a lifelong educator. Um, so teacher, counselor, and ultimately a, a principal of a high school. And, and uh, people that put those two things together, they feel my pain. And yes, I had a cop and a principal as parents. <laughs> so very, very, very conservative, uh, you know, growing <laughs> up. And uh, yeah, you know, I guess it's interesting. I could take that question in a million different directions because I think all of us can relate to who we are today and what we do. Ultimately, a large part of it stems from our upbringing, stems from our environment, maybe at a conscious level and probably a lot at a subconscious level. Um, but maybe, maybe a, a thought that's relevant to this listen, you know, the listeners here, this audience would be maybe what shaped perception around, around money and, and income. Um, I know a, a lot of listeners out there probably listen to this because you lead organizations or you want to lead organizations and maybe the, the drive or desire behind that is, is some achievement or some attainment of success. And, and John, I, you know, as I said, my parents didn't grow up uh, in, in like a wealthy uh, area or, 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 you know, in, in any term of outrageous success. You know, I, I guess I could describe it that I never had everything I wanted, um, but I also never went without. You know, I, I, I grew up where my parents worked hard. They gave me very good models of what it meant to put in the effort, put in the time, um, you know, and, and what hard work could get. And it was always kind of just enough. And I don't know, John, do you remember, I, I'm probably older than, than you out there. I'll give you a, a relevant <laughs> story, a relevant example. Hmm. Um, do you remember when the first um, pumps came out? I think they were Reebok, like way back in the day. And it was like the coolest shoe when I was in grade school and everybody started getting pumps. They were these shoes where you could literally <laughs> like push the little basketball and pump them up. Was that, do you, was that out there in Australia? Do you, did that ever hit out there? Was that your generation? Oh. Yeah, I mean, I was never really a uh, a sneaker sort of guy, so I definitely remember that I they definitely were out here. I I and there were definitely people around me, sort of who were who were really into that. So yeah, no, I I do remember, but sort of from afar. Yeah, and I'll date myself out here depending on what part of the world you're in and what generation. But like, so I was the kid when everybody was getting the cool Reebok pumps. Like my my parents would buy me the LA gear version. And, and if you're here in like in the States, like in that generation, you know what I'm referring to. Or, or like, you know, if, if um, I woke up on a Christmas morning and all my neighbors were, were outside playing with their brand new like RC cars, like buzzing in the round, I remember walking up the street and, and, and mine was the small one that had the cord attached. Like I could go story after story where it was like, I just had enough, but it wasn't what everybody else had. And, and you know, I, I remember growing up wanting the, the, the things, right, that the people around me had. And, and I also remember while my parents are, you know, have a great relationship, they're still together today, they're still married. Uh, they live out in Palm Springs here, California, a couple hours away. And, you know, the thing that I do remember growing up, the only time that they ever fought, and I can remember this as far back as I can remember, um, 
the only time they would ever fight, I remember going to bed, having to shut my door and I would hear yelling um, coming from downstairs. They would go into the wee hours of the night and I'd sit there and curl over and try to put the pillow over my head and, and, and tune that out. No kid wants to hear their parents yelling and fighting and screaming over anything. But I remember very distinctly noting that the only time they ever fought it, it, it always seemed to be about money, right? Or about never having enough. And I remember making a, a decision at a very young age that I never wanted to be in a, in a position where, where money was an issue in my household, where money was a point of contention or conflict, where, where you know, money was something that would get in the way of, of the greater things. Um, so I, I remember that very vividly. And again, I, I go there. There's so many memories because mm. I think that's something that ultimately shaped maybe the direction that, that I, I went to, especially the first half of my life, really chasing achievement. Um, and, you know, I, I guess maybe one other story that, that might be relevant and maybe set the tone for where we want to carry the conversation. And, and I'll piggyback off the fact that, you know, I said my dad was um, a cop. He was career law enforcement. And I don't know how, how the, the police officers or, or the law enforcement out in Australia are, um, but it's pretty consistent here in the States um, that police officers, they're trained. I mean, they're literally conditioned to question everything and everyone, to doubt everything and everyone, kind of the, the glasses half full mentality. Or out here, we have a saying that it's kind of like Murphy's Law. And I don't know where that saying came from, but Murphy's Law basically is, is the belief system around anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And I don't blame my dad for having this mindset because in, in law enforcement, that, that saves your life. That's what makes you a great police officer, like you're around people in situations where your senses have to be up and you have to question and you have to doubt and you have to be ready for what could come around the corner. But I, I remember him always bringing that, that mentality or that mindset home. And it, it, it never turned off. I mean, it, it ultimately was him or became him. And I guess to answer your question more, more succinctly, a story, I, I remember we were leaving for a family vacation and our family vacations at A's, it was always camping. We never went super extravagant places, but we'd go camping a lot, great family time. And I remember my dad running around the house, unplugging all of the lights and, and then unplugging the toaster. And I, I remember asking him like, dad, why are you unplugging all of the lights and unplugging the toaster? And he would tell me, well, well, because he didn't want anything to happen when we were gone and, you know, the electricity to do something and something to catch on fire and the house to burn down. And I use that as an example of a mindset that I watched him apply to, to so much of our life, that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. The glass is half full, that the world is out to get you. And, and I, I remember being very young and, and watching how that shapes so much of our environment and that our household. And, and the scary thing, John, I, I watched it a lot of times, like the things that he would stress about and worry about would, would come true. And, and I don't know, I can't say this was like a, a conscious effort when I was young, mm. but through personal growth and looking back, I, I, I think it was a huge part of what shaped my life. I remember making a, a decision, conscious or not, that I would never operate that way. And I, I almost, I must've rebelled because I ended up literally developing a mindset that was like the exact opposite. I, I, you could call me the optimist, right? You, you call me naive. 
I'm the guy that is positive. I'm the guy that everything's going wrong and I'm gonna try to find the light. Like that is my mindset, not fabricated or made up or trying to feel good. Like that's the mindset that I've always had. And I think if I were to really reflect and go back, it was because I watched my dad and I said, that's what I don't want to be. And like we do as kids, often we, we, we either become who they are or we become the opposite of who they are. And I, I think those two things, you know, kind of kind of were some were foundational in terms of a mindset or a belief system, a, a foundation around money that kind of pushed me into this. Hey, I, I, this will never be an issue in my household um, and a mindset around, you, you know what, we can choose a belief system. We can choose what we focus on. And, you know, I've always decided to, to choose on, you know, people, um, people are good, right? Things do yeah. work out. Things are happening for a reason. And I think those belief systems have worked for me. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing so vulnerably about about that. I really do appreciate it. The question that pops into my mind, Blake, is with that upbringing around uh, money, I, I'm always fascinated by the moment or the maybe it's not a moment, maybe it was a, a time frame where you, where you felt like, because it's always one thing to believe that. It's always one thing to believe money's not going to limit me. But I think there must be a moment where you go, huh. I feel like <laughs> kind yeah. of like I believed that, but now it's true. Do you remember that first? Do you remember when that sort of ceiling was for you, where you sort of were able to to sort of break free of some of that uh, some of that thinking, or or go from just believing that you didn't want money to be a limitation to it actually in your life, where you felt like, okay, I've actually made it, or I'm making it. Yeah, you know, I think from the, the very beginning, I, I never doubted that it would come. And don't misunderstand me, John, I'm, I'm not saying I had a lot or started with a lot. You know, my, my story, I started as an entrepreneur and I was a, a, a freshman in college from a dorm room. Um, I was putting myself through college on student loan money, right? I, you know, I, 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 I didn't come from or have a lot. And, and, and you know, I, even during those times where I didn't have and I was your typical college student, right? Figuring out where, where you were eating or where food was coming from. I never worried about it. Like I never stressed about it. You know, looking back, I, I recall, and it, it, it's kind of a funny analogy, but like, I never knew how much gas was. You know, I, I didn't drive a nice car. I drove an old used beat up Honda Civic, right? That took, definitely took gas and I filled it up frequently, but I, I could never tell you like how much was in the gas tank. Or if I went to a restaurant, you know, I, I, I never focused on, you know, reading the menu from right to left, right? I was always left to right, even when I, the bank account didn't have a lot of money and I was struggling. So I, I don't know. I think from the very beginning, I, I, I was a person of faith. I was a person of hope. Um, and I believe that if you do the right things long enough and you put in the work and, you know, you come from the right intention, eventually, and I guess the key word is eventually, it is going to work out. Um, I think too often we, we are so hard on ourselves that if it doesn't work out today or this week or this month or this minute, you know, we beat ourselves up and we feel like we're failures. But if we give ourselves the grace of a long-term perspective, that if you put yourself into something you believe in, give it all you got consistently and you do it long enough, right? Long enough I think we'll find that you're always going to figure it out and you're always going to get to place where it works. At least that's been, you know, my story uh, up until that date. So I, I think looking back, it, I've always had, you know, that belief, um, if that answers your question. Yeah, it definitely answers my question. And I, I think that's, um, is 
you hear like I've heard other stories where people were fighting that like where it was something instilled in them and they always had to fight against it with almost by telling themselves I will not let this but what I hear I guess it sounds like you so deeply believed (laughs) um, and maybe this says a little bit about who you are and and how you um, live your life and how you also have been and continue to be successful in leadership but it's like that that belief was so deeply embedded that you didn't sort of have to slowly uh bring it to pass you just lived it out from day one yeah and i guess i I had the privilege jono of of falling into personal growth fairly young um you know i was 19 years old where i kind of got introduced to the self-help category right if that's what we want to call it and and I fell in love with it. You know, I, we go to school, we go to college, and, you know, I did the academic thing. And I can't say there was ever anything that lit me up, that turned me on, that I, I enjoyed. I went through it because that's what we were, you know, supposed to do. Um, but when I got introduced to kind of the personal growth genre, the personal development genre, I was like, this is stuff that I love to learn. And, and I dove in obsessively, fanatically, kind of from 19 years old on. And I do believe that you become like your references, right? And, and if you put yourself into an environment, whether it be the people around you or in this case today, right? We got so much at the click of a, of a button like this conversation or this podcast. Um, if you put the right references in over and over and over and over and over again, I think you can't help but develop the belief system um, that's going to propel you to where you want to go. So I don't know. You know, I, I don't, mm. obviously I think my, my, my upbringing helped to some extent. Um, but I think it really was probably the, the shift into personal growth and the books. And, and back then it was the, the mobile university of, of CDs, um, in the car <laughs> back when we had CDs, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I think you, you listen to that long enough, you eventually believe it. So good. Yeah. I, and I do remember the, this, uh, changing CDs. Oh, you know, it stopped. I've got to go to the next, um, next chapter or whatever. And you get, grab the next CD. Uh, good times. Um, so I'm interested to know about 19 year old Blake, that first entrepreneurial experience. Well, well, I, for you, was that your first sort of entrepreneurial experience or did you, was there entrepreneurial Blake previous to that where you, where you started anything else when you were younger? Uh, I think that would classify as my first real entrepreneurial experience. You know, I, I, I look back and I, I joke and my mom brings this stuff up because I forget this stuff. Um, but like, if we go real way back I, I, in elementary school, uh, I remember making beaded bracelets and, and selling them to the kids at recess in fifth and sixth grade. Or, you know, my friends and I ended up having a, a little thing in middle school where we would you know, <laughs> buy candy at the movie theater in bulk and, and sell it during uh, intermissions to the kids. I mean, little things like that. I, I think it, it's funny if you look back as entrepreneurs, I think all of us could probably find, you know, little nuances that, that, um, <laughs> that say, Hey, we're maybe this pointed in a direction, but no, I mean, the, the first time I really make, you know, made the real leap was 19. I was a freshman mm. in college and, and, you know, I got started really just as an outside sales representative of a telecommunications company, but it was structured in a way that, that really I was independent and I didn't have a, Mm-hmm. A direct boss or a ceiling and, and you know, was able to, to put in my effort and, and generate a result. And, you know, that's where, again, I, I, it wasn't necessarily the business or the vehicle that I loved, um, but I fell in love with the learning of what it yes. meant 
and it became it became the real school. While I, while I was going to school during the hours, right, thinking I was going to become <laughs> a lawyer and getting my degrees and and so forth, what I was really doing is going to real school in the evenings and on the weekends and in my my car um, and in the category that I was passionate about, you know, so, yeah, you know, that, that, that was, that was where it started. But I, I guess you're talking about a, a moment of 19 year old Blake. I, I do remember the moment that was kind of like that aha or that, you know, I call it like that shift. Um, and it was the summer of my sophomore year in college. And I was back, I went to school down in San Diego, um, but I came back home for the summertime and I was interning for a district attorney up in Ventura, California. Uh, and the reason I was interning for a district attorney is I, I, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And, and again, I, I felt growing up that in my family, like you were either a lawyer or a doctor or a failure. I don't know where that came from because I really don't think my parents were that <laughs> strict. Um, but, but that was the weight I put on myself or the yeah. weight that I felt was put on me by others. And I hate blood, um, so I, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, and, that, and that's what—that's what I was going to school. I went, I went to school. And I have degrees in political science, public law, psychology, and and what do you do when you're going to school? Is you got to build the resume, right? You got to build the resume. What's going to separate you from everyone else? And and so I was interning for this district attorney for no other reason than, than to build the resume because that's what we're supposed to do, right? In, in order to to you know graduate and move, go to the law school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember just a day I was so miserable. It, it was hot. I was in this like cheesy white dress shirt and tie and JCPenney pants that I was wearing every day. And I was literally filing giant manila envelopes. Like the, the, the picture you would imagine of like lawyers in a room of floor to ceiling shelves filing envelopes of, of dockets and cases. And this, would, this is what I was doing as, as an intern. Um, and I was just like frustrated. My friends were out having fun. They were out surfing. They were enjoying their summer. And, and I'm here doing this because again, this is what you got to do to get ahead, right? Or so I'm, I'm thinking. And it was at the same time where I, I had started diving into personal growth. I had started, you know, messing around on the side with these business ventures. And I, I had a mentor, I guess you could call at that time, and I remember a conversation driving home and he could sense I was super frustrated. And he just asked a really simple question, Jono. He said, well, well, Blake, why are you doing this? And that like real simple one word, <laughs> why, was the ton of bricks moment. That was the smack in the face. That was the punch in the gut. That was the moment because I had no good answer. Um, the only answer, it wasn't what I wanted to do. It wasn't what I was passionate about. I, I didn't love it. it. I was literally only doing it because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. And that was the shift moment for me because immediately it was like, boom, I went back and reflected 19 years of my life. And I'm like, how much of my life am I living for no other reason than that's what I've been told by other people, it's what I'm supposed to do. And that was the shift because it woke yeah. me up. And I, I can't say it like changed everything in the moment. What it did is it woke me up and it gave me a different mm. set of eyes to start looking at everything going like, am I doing this because it's me? Because it's mm. what I want? Because it's my passion? Because it's my purpose? Because it's my gift? Because it's you know why I'm here? Or am I doing this because it's what so-and-so says I should? Or 
what society says I should or what the script says I should. And that lens from, from you know, that sophomore year in college all through my life, that has been the lens I, I try to constantly apply to everything. And I can't say it was like a, a one and done moment. It, it's a lens that I've learned to look through. And it's crazy to me just how much of my life, right, I'm constantly having even today to still fight the supposed to. Um, and obviously working with a lot of entrepreneurs across the world now at different phases, I, I'm sure you see the same thing, like how many people fight their version of the same, their version of this the expectation, right, that they feel the weight they're supposed to be versus maybe what they're called to be. So for me, that was kind of like that, that first leap in entrepreneurship and also that first kind of wake up call to say, wow, okay, maybe this is the path I'm, I'm meant to be on. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like to me that moment for you was like a rudder, like, like, like shifting a rudder. It's not that you overnight went from here to there, but it was like there was this big change of direction that went, I'm not going to do things. Well, you had the awareness. It's, it sounds like the awareness, ah, I don't have to do things <laughs> um, if I don't really want to do them. And I know that sounds simple, but I, I resonate with that because it's funny how similar our stories are um, because I actually studied law and um, as my law degree. And I, while I was studying law, I was communications company here in, in Brisbane, in Australia. And I did, oh, nine wow. months, I did nine months of sales and I learned so much at the time I, I was, and it's, it's that same thing. Like you mentioned before, you look back and you see yourself um, doing things and you go, ah, now it all makes sense. But for me, I was like, I don't want a normal job where, I'm limited by an hourly rate. Like what if I can actually go and find something where um, I can, you know, sell this sort of telecommunications option and there's these different commissions. And it's even though it wasn't true sort of entrepreneurship, my own idea, I could, I could see how I was so drawn to that um, as well. And the reason I did law was similar because I, I, <laughs> I love what you said, a, a, a doctor, a lawyer or a failure. That's so good because I kind of felt similarly. I, would, I never would have articulated it like that, but I think that was my perspective. And I went into law because I had an amazing teacher who did law, taught us law in school. We had sort of a, uh, in, um, in the final two years of school, we had a, a law subject and I thought, this is amazing. And then I went and studied law and went, ah, oh, okay. It was amazing because of how great my teacher was. He was mm -hmm. such a talented teacher at, at not only connecting with us, but unpacking these really complex ideas in really brilliant ways. And I'm, this is not um, me. This isn't what I want to do. Is, is there anything that like, as you reflect, is there anything that we can do differently or that someone could have done differently with Blake to, you have that aha moment when you were younger i'm thinking about kids out there and leaders out there who have kids not to feel not to have that same burden or is it inevitable and it's just something you've got to realize for yourself at some point you know john it's an amazing question and and no joking you just asking that question gave me physical chills um i've never been asked that question before but it like gets to the core of my passion. Um, I just had a conversation last week with actually a teacher's organization that asked me to come speak later this year to a, to a bunch of like four or 500 teachers that are teaching high school. And it just got, it just started me thinking in this direction of like, what would the message be to like our educators 
to help them try to inspire or create change to our future generation. So it's just interesting timing because I, I just got put there. And, and obviously I'm now, I, I know you're a new father as well, which is awesome. It's the best chapter. It's the best phase. Uh, you know, and I, I have littles here as well with my, my son and my daughter who are now just getting into school. You know, my, my son's about to finish, you know, his first year of kindergarten. My daughter's still in preschool. So it's just a different frame to start thinking about, wow, you know, what is that right narrative to the future, to the generation that's coming up? Um, and I can't say I, I have the, the silver bullet answer, but I, I could say I think it's in the direction of stopping our, our need to put people in a box or a mold. You know, the one size fits all. Yeah. Um, it, it worked for a different age, you, you know, and I, I feel like we're, we're stuck, at least here in America, we're stuck in this whole like in, industrial economy age where we're having, you know, people that could do the same task over and over and over again was needed in order to fuel an economy. You know, having people that would, would fit in line and follow the rules and not act out and not overthink was was needed it, like it, it fueled an industrial revolution but this was like ages ago and we're stuck with systems and methodologies and educational programs they were literally designed back then um and it no longer works matter of fact quite the opposite like i think the world that we live in today it, it is the opposite what we need is creativity what we need is authenticity what we need is people to not be afraid to be themselves and show their gifts and diversity today is the superpower so we're in this giant just you know conflict of a lingering set of systems a lingering set of beliefs generations that have been taught one thing and quite frankly in our parents case generations that that maybe what that philosophy was worked for them now in, in an era where especially like post pandemic, like glass is cracked and everything's shifting. So I think it'd be something in, in the vein of tailoring to what individual strengths are, not fixating on weakness to try to get everybody mm. over a medium to, to finish, you know, the check boxes so a teacher can graduate them, but going down to what is this individual's talents? What are their gifts? What were they designed for? Because I think we all could agree, and I know you work with, you know, CEOs, elite organizations, and we all can agree that we're all different, but we all have gifts. And, you know, the, the, the worst thing would be to spend our life trying to get better at things that we weren't designed to do and negating the very thing that we were created for. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is innate. Like a lot of science and studies, they say this stuff is like hardwired by the time we're three to five years old. Like a lot of this stuff, you know, and stuff can shift, but like in even elementary school, I think we could start to narrow in like, where are their talents? Where are their passions? Where are their desires? Where are their gifts? How do we strengthen strength instead of constantly trying to fix weakness? How do we embrace creativity instead of constantly stagnating it and putting people in a mold and how do we allow people to fall in where they fit in and let them grow where they are? And how do we create teachers and systems and recognition around that? I mean, imagine a place where everybody from the very beginning knew it was okay to be them. They didn't have a set of weight thinking they had to be like you and I did, right? A certain parameter to be quote unquote successful. And they were recognized and empowered to grow the things they're naturally good at. And everybody was celebrated, right, to live their strength and contribute the greatest way. Like, man, that would be a powerful world. 
Um, and I don't mean to sound like overly utopian here, but like that's eventually where we need to go is, is a, a, a direction where I believe we, we see people for who they are and who they can be and let them become that instead of constantly trying to force people to become what we think mm. they need to be for our own needs. So something in that direction would be what comes to my mind and what I would hope, you know, my kids and your kids yeah. would, would grow up in. That's, That's why I'm so excited sad. about things like virtual reality. Um, uh, I remember, it, you know, next uh, once, and at the time I didn't know this about myself. So it's kind of relevant for the conversation as well, but I, uh, I love strength. 34 strengths mm -hmm. because anything that helps you articulate what you're in terms of what your strengths are i just i'm a big fan of because for me certainly I, I i assumed things i knew i loved brainstorming and ideas but i remember sitting in this room and uh and and sort of in as part of our sort of brainstorming it was, it was probably about 25 of us and um i remember saying you know what i think in the next more uh, like the physical meetings together will become more and more um important yes but they'll become rarer as technology goes to some new levels that we can't even imagine and we're able to really meet with colleagues on the other side of the world um and, and i'm not saying everyone's gone through and uh, has experienced zoom fatigue and so that's not what i'm talking about yeah. another level of technology where you can actually mm -hmm. really feel present with others and it was funny, uh, it was funny, Blake, I, I shared this and I thought I'd turn around and maybe half the people would be like, nah, people would be like, yeah. And everyone else in the whole room was like disagreeing with me. I was the only person who saw, who saw that. And um, that was a big revelation for me because, oh, so other people don't see things the way I see it. And when I did Finder my number one strength is futuristic. And mm -hmm. that for me was so helpful. Yeah. Everything we're talking about here, like I didn't know that at any point. I knew that I, I had this strange love for brainstorming. Whenever someone got out a whiteboard and we were coming up with ideas, I loved it, but I thought I was good at ideas. Help me go. Not just ideas, it's, it's things about the future that I really, I love vision. I love future. I love high level strategic. Where are we going? Hence why I do what I do. I, I, I sort of parachute in and out to organizations and help them think. But I had no idea of that when I was younger. And and the other thing that struck mm -hmm. me about that room was that people didn't see that. And I, and I feel like people get so scared of things like virtual reality. And I'm like, it's, it'll be like the internet. It's going to revolutionize everything we do about life. And there's probably something beyond VR that we can't even imagine yet. Uh, well, there is, but you know, it's going to revolutionize like the internet, everything we did. And it's also going to have horrible parts of it that, that are going to be misused. Things work, but I think it will revolutionize the way we work together. And I do, I dream of like kids being able to, to really find like, not just have to go and start their own YouTube channel to make, to talking about corporate organize, large organizations funding and investing in young people when they see the strengths they have, not just for the sake of bottom line, but actually because they go, mm -hmm. you know what? You know what? The smart play long-term is if I go, who's got these abilities when they're 19, I know that even if they go off and do something else, we'll build that relationship. And that I'm very likely as an organization to get ROI long-term by investing in the human being. Um, I th but it's such a different paradigm. 
No, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. And I'm a huge Strength Finder fan. Um, I learned of that tool actually from John C. Maxwell, uh, was the first that turned me on to that and um, went through it, had the same kind of awakening, right, that you had. And I said, I'm immediately using this for every organization I ever lead, implemented it always with my employee forces, my sales forces, ended up going and actually getting the whole Gallup certification just for myself to learn. Um, but I think it's a great analogy. I think that is a good example of what we're talking about. And there's a lot of other tools, but imagine if those tools are used in our youth, right, at our, at our next generation, and then the teaching, right, that we applied um, actually was tailored to individual strengths and individual talents, man, the world would be a, a different place. Um, and starting with that baseline. And then on the technology level, 100%, the first time I put on an Oculus, I think it was the Oculus version one, and I don't remember exactly what app I ended up downloading, but it, I put that on, I'm like, this is going to change the world. <laughs> this is a very immersive experience. And uh, yeah, tech, you know, I think, I think technology is there. I think mm. uh, culture is still catching up. Right. I mean, that's the scary thing. The technology is already there. Like it exists. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's the, the culture that has to catch up, but I, I agree with you. It, it's it's going to change everything. I'm really interested to ask you um, about, it's great how you unpacked 19 year old bl- the conversation we've had there um, about the future. As you reflect on your career so far, like you said early on, you've done a lot of different things. You've worn a lot of the different hats that people say, well, for me, I really specialize in mergers and acquisitions. Well, you've done that as well as being the entrepreneur, as well as leading the, a public organization. What do you, um, can you remember some of your aha moments in any particular, another sh- a shift moment where you where the penny dropped and you went i'm gonna have to change how i do this or you you realized ah oh, wow i really made a mistake there and i've learned a lesson on the shift moments from your career so far that come to mind yeah you know it's it's interesting so that i'll play off where we left off on that that 19 year old shift got me to realize that i was essentially following a prescription right i call it a script right and, and i was I was following a script of the go to school and the get good grades and the go to college and the get good grades and the get a job and the work hard and the get married and buy the house and have the kids and eventually retire, you know, broke at, at age 65 or 80. Right. And, and that's something that we've all been taught all over the world. And I got mad at, at that script, right. That I'd been lied to. And I made the shift to entrepreneurship. And I went through a period where I spent a long stretch of time as the, the obsessed entrepreneur, um, overachiever, go, 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 put everything else off, you know, when in doubt, do more, hustle harder, grind, grind, grind. And it worked, you know, I, I mean, I, I spent, you know, 15 years, like over a decade plus of my life in that mode. And it worked from the aspect of, you know, success, right, by the normal definition. And, you know, I, I, I did, I ended up my company, I remember, I was, I think I was 31 years old, John, I let my company pass its first billion in revenue, you know, it, it ended up our platform <laughs> that started as an idea that, you know, we I named in a college dorm room, ended up, we put 3 million people on the platform, you know, it ended up doing billions of sales. And, and I, I say that just to create the context or the perspective of, okay, got to this level. And obviously with that comes a certain, you know, financial flexibility or financial freedom. And I remember getting to a point where I'm like, 
damn, like you're doing the exact same thing in a different way. You're following a different script. You got mad, you spent first 19 years of your life doing this, this kind of normal, conventional, traditional, and you leaped into this entrepreneurial lane because it was not that. And then I realized I spent the next part of my life chasing this success script, this this do more, have more, um, you know, achieve more. And eventually when you, when you get to the end of all of that, you're supposed to be happy. And Jono, I got to, I'm not going to call it the end by no means. I mean, there's people all around me that, that, that dwarf what, what I have ever done and will ever do. But I got to a certain point where, where I, I had the things that I thought I wanted. I had the things that most people would say are, are quote unquote success. I had the things that 19-year-old Blake would spend his weekends drawing in dream circles and cutting images on the magazines and putting them on the dream boards. And I got to a place where, where I had all of that. And it still wasn't enough. Like, it still, like, I wasn't happier, right? And don't get me wrong, and, and some people listening to this, it's like, well, that's easy to say when you have it. I've, I've heard that before, but hear me, regardless of where you're at on the journey right now, and again, don't misunderstand me. To, to, to have financial means makes life easier. It affords you options. You, you'd rather have than have not, right? And, and everybody out there deserves, right? Putting your heart and your passion and your work into something. And I promise you, if you do it long enough, you will get those things. But here's the big shift. Here's that realization. Just know when you get those things. It's not the answer that most people are really looking for. Like, it's not the answer to a fulfillment. It's not the answer to a meaning. It's not the answer to a happiness. It's not. And, you know, for the achievers out there that fall into that, that script of, well, when I get this, then I'll take the vacation. When this happens, the when-then game. When this happens, then this will happen. And it, it's a never-ending treadmill. It's a hedonic treadmill. Um, so I, I think maybe the second shift to your aha moment question, Jono, is when you get to the top of whatever your peak you're climbing is, and for me, I realized that I was just chasing another script in a different way, right? This success script, this set of supposed to, um, yeah. and that was, that was a big realization. And, and again, it, it comes with experience. It comes, you know, with, a, with a, maybe a little bit later in life and the power of hindsight um, kids change a lot. I know everybody says that, but like kids do change perspective a lot when it comes to what is what matters and what meaning is. Um, but for me, that would probably be the second big shift is is checking off the boxes and realizing that it wasn't going to give me what I thought it was from the 19 year old Blake and setting the stage for, you know, the, the rest of my life for what the next chapter will be, if that makes sense. Yeah. What advice would you give to leaders listening who feel they're nodding along going, oh, maybe I have bought into that. What advice would you give to people who who want to uh, get free of that second shift, like stop stop saying the when they're living, the when, when I or when um, success trap? How can yeah. you do that? You know, I, I think we have to, just like we had to throw out the notion of, of both of our first part of life of, of what it meant to be successful. And that had to do with the lawyer, the doctor, the grades. I, I think we have to throw out the notion of whatever our, our, our current definition of success is that's driving us to do those things. And we have to ask ourselves the real question, forget what we've been told, forget what we've read, forget what the 
the you know influencers on Instagram right are telling us or the advertisements that are bombarding our feeds are telling us what to think and go inward and ask like well what's really important like like not what is success in business or what is success right in finances but like what is success in life i think that's the question what is success in life you know and and not to use a morbid analogy but we got to shift off the the resume list right or the success list and you got to start thinking more like what's your eulogy list like when it's all said and done and you're looking back you're not going to be talking about the rolex on your wrist or the car in the driveway or what you know address you have you're not going to be talking about any of that right there's going to be a higher level of meaning that you want i think for most of us right your life to have meant and you know i think that's what you got to ask yourself starting is what what is success in life to you and your definition might be different than my definition might be different than the person who's listening to this definition but you, you start with that what is it that we really really want and then you can work backwards right the old stephen covey begin with the end in mind that's the end right work backwards okay well well how can i get that now how can i start moving in that direction now and and the i think the eye-opening exercise is when you figure out what you really really want and and what really really matters you can start to realize you can start making choices now right to start feeling that way and moving in in that direction so i think that would be probably my first answer is is redefining what Mm. it is that matters most and, and, and I think my second answer, and it's kind of been a theme of our conversation today, I think my second answer would be, don't lose yourself trying to be who you think everybody else wants you to be at any phase of your life, right? Don't lose yourself trying to be what your parents want you to be, or your teachers want you to be, or your, your significant other wants you to be, or your boss wants you to be, or your neighbor, you think your neighbors need to think you're going to be, or the, the, yeah. the, the cool kids club you want to be a part of things you want. Don't lose yourself trying to become, or, and even leaders out there. I know this is a leadership conversation. Leaders have the most weight. Don't lose yourself trying to be the leader you think your organization needs to be, right? In, in, yeah. in, in, in any phase of your life and have that not allow you to become who you're really meant to be and who you really are. Um, there's no amount of success or size of company or organization you're leading that's worth you becoming someone you weren't created to be in, in order to attain that result. Because when you get there, you won't be happy and vice versa. Here's the good news. Mm. Focusing on who you are and going back to the, the strengths and the talents and the gifts and doubling down on, on what we are created to be. The irony, John, you know this, like you're not only going to achieve a higher level of success and build a bigger following and lead more people that way because you're excited and passionate on fire and authentic, right? You're going to end up becoming more successful by traditional definition anyway. And the kicker of the plus, you're going to enjoy it along the way and enjoy where you're going. And I think that's, that's kind of like the ultimate goal. Yeah, that's so good, Blake. Um, I think that is the ultimate goal. And, uh, I think redefining is so important. And if, and the, like you said, the encouraging thing is that you can make that shift and you can change that rudder. You can change that direction. And that slight, maybe you can end up a thousand miles away from where you could have been. So wonderful advice for. Okay, let's jump into Leadership Express. The first question for you, Blake, what is a book that you've gifted to other people or recommended a lot to other people? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think the book, if I were to answer literally that I've gifted to most people physically would be the book Start With Why by Simon Sinek. I think that's probably the one I've given the most. If, if you're mm -hmm. looking for a, le a leadership genre, um, John C. Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, <laughs> I've given that to, I mean, that's kind of the, the Bible of leadership there, I've given that to a, a lot of individuals. I'd say those would be two. Recommendations. Um, what is a uh, great piece of advice you've received at some point in life or leadership? Someone gave you advice and it really stuck with you and has proven to be true. Ah, that's a great question. I, um, you know, I'll go with some advice I got more recently, like over the last year. And I was having a conversation with, I guess you'd call him maybe my spiritual mentor. He's a close friend, um, someone I meet with you know, every few months just for kind of casual conversation. It's always inspiring. Um, and, you know, his background, he's a, a large kind of spiritual leader. And we were just talking about how everybody was just in a funk coming out of pandemic um, with so much going on and just so much weight. And he said something to the, the like of, well, Blake, when it comes to our potential, our potential is, is not defined by what we achieve our potential is defined by what we overcome. And John, that stuck with me really, really hard. We've talked a lot about kind of the achiever mindset, you know, and there's probably a lot of us out there that are the strivers, are the achievers. And, and we do that long enough, we attach like our identity to the milestones or what the next victory is or what the scoreboard reads. And, you know, really it's, it's not about any of that, like who we are, our identity, our, our potential. It's not about the milestones. It's really about what we overcome. And I, I think that's a relevant message for now because the world's been through a lot. So many of us have been through a lot. So many of you out there, I'm sure over the last couple of years have, have been through a lot. And you look at how far you've come, you know, and what you've been through and the person you are today versus the person you were when you started. And I'm willing to bet all of you, you're, you're stronger because of it, right? You're better because of it. You have more ex, you know, experience and wisdom because of it. And that's the thing you got to focus on is how far you've come and what you've overcome because that's what allows you to become who you're meant to be. So that, that's, that's the thing that comes to mind first. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, a couple more questions. What is a commonly held belief in... I disagree with. You cut out one second. There are commonly held belief in leadership that yeah, I disagree with. Is that, that what you, you said? That you disagree with. That's right. Oh, that's a great question. A belief in leadership that I disagree with. Um maybe that a, a leader has to be a certain personality. You know, we, we, we think about a, a leader and there's, there's a stereotype that maybe comes to our mind of, you know, the leader is the alpha, right? Or the leader is the, the person that, that always has the, the answers or is 100% confident. Um, and we create this persona that is the leader. And in, in my experience, Leadership is not any one persona. You know, anybody can become a leader. And some of the best leaders out there are not the persona that, that, that we stereotype it to be, you know. And, and to me, the aspect of, of a leader, it's, again, first becoming who you are, you know, going through the, the mud and the experience and coming out and, and earning the, the perspective to be able to share with others, putting, you know, your community and, and, and those that are trusting, right, your voice or trusting you know, your lead, putting them first, um, caring enough. I mean, there's so many other 
qualities and a diverse set of qualities. So I'd say that stereotype, you know, anybody from any walk of life and different skill sets can really learn to lead and don't feel like you have to, to fit in that mold or fit in that box of what you think a leader is in order for you to step up and, and lead in the direction that you, you're passionate about going. Yeah, that's great. Okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say to them? Man, I'd have to go back to the, the, the theme of today's conversation. You know, I, I'd have to go back to, you know, don't feel that you need to be who you've been taught you're supposed to be. Um, instead, listen to your heart, right? Listen to your intuition, trust the gifts you've been given and focus on becoming the person that you are meant to be because people follow people following their passion. People follow people that are real. You know, people value authenticity today more than, than any you know, other age. Like, you know, today vulnerability is the strength, you know, and people's BS meters are, are more in tune than ever before, right? You, you, can't, you can't pretend to be someone that you're not in order to try to, you know, build a following or say, follow me. I, I, I think it's, it's growing and becoming all you're meant to be. And then having the courage to say, follow me in a direction you're passionate about going. Um, so that would be my, my advice to the next mm. generation of leaders. Such great advice. Uh, for those who've really enjoyed hearing your thoughts today and some of your story, where can people find you and connect with you online, Blake? Yeah, I'm easy. Just, you know, search my name. So Blake Mallon, blakemallon.com. The website has all the things. Uh, you can find the TED Talk. You can find the podcast, Alive by Design, for those of you guys that are looking for uh, additional great conversations. And uh, yeah, if you got value from today's conversation, hey, you know, I respond to all my own messages. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at Blake Mallon. Would love to hear what resonated with you. And obviously, Bochano, I do this just to make an impact, just to inspire and would love to know um, if it made an impact on, on you. So shoot us a message. We'd love to say hello. Amazing. Well, thank you so much to our listeners for uh, for tuning in. Make sure you do go and drop Blake a line. If there's something that he shared that really resonated with you, that, that always does mean a lot to hear that. And make sure you go and check out Alive by Design, Blake's podcast. Uh, and also, don't forget, I have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, two other places you can Thank you to you, Blake, for being for sharing great stories from your life and leadership wisdom and for being fun and just a joy to, to hang out with. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was a blast. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. 
yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases, you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.